Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. Morning. Um, for all my nerds, I want you to write this down. The title of this message is, There Are Only Three Points. It's the title of the message. The title of the message is, There Are Only Three points. Now, you know that I'm a three-point person, and many of you all may feel like, well, you know, um, you were sent out of Gateway, and Robert Morris is a three-point person, so that's probably why you're a three-point person. No, no. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a three-point person because God's a three-point person. Uh, the Trinity happens to be three points. He goes into covenant with a man named Abraham, perpetuates that covenant through Isaac, multiplies that covenant through Jacob. Those are three people. Uh, David had three mighty men. He had three points. Jesus had three of his top people always around him. That's three points. Paul goes on to write that uh, everything's going to leave except for three things, faith, hope, and love. That's three points. So, I think I have enough Bible for three points. Today, I want to tell you about the three things that cause our heart to murmur more than anything else. Because there's only three things externally that can cause the heart to murmur internally. It's not seven things. It's not 15 things. There are only three points. So I want to give those to you, and then I want to explain to you uh, how Jesus dealt with these points, why we can be bold enough to do the same. So 1 John chapter number 2 Starting at the 16th verse, actually, I only want to read that verse. Here's what it says. For the world offers only. Everybody say only. Only. Louder, only. Only. One more time, real loud, only. only. Okay. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. If you've been in church a long time and NLT is not familiar to you, then you probably know this and are more accustomed to it in King James or New King James, that there are only three things, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These are the only three points that the enemy comes to us with temptations to try to make our hearts murmur. Now, let me ask this question. How many people in here by a show of hands have ever been tempted? Keep them up. Keep them up real high. I'm actually looking for hands that are not raised (laughs) because I want to be able to extrapolate some bone marrow from you to figure out 
how you have been able, for however long you've been alive, to successfully never have been tempted. Once again, how many people in here have never been tempted? Never been tempted. How many people have been tempted? All right, all right. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This is a real church. I can keep on rolling with y'all. Couldn't do it if you weren't real. Everyone in here has been tempted. Here's what I want you to know. You've only been tempted by three things. There are only three points to temptation. It's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It is a craving for physical pleasure. It is a craving for everything that we see. And it is to have pride in the things that we possess or achieve. Now, the subcategories in these three points are endless. But if we're only talking about the points, I have good news for you. There are only three. Which levels the playing field and should cause many of us to stop judging. Because if you raised your hand and was honest enough to say, I've been tempted before, that means there's only one of three things that you're being tempted by. A craving for something physical that pleases you. A craving for everything you see. Or there's a temptation to have pride in what you possess or what you've achieved. Now, if there's only three, and let's say yours is pride of life. Well, there's only two more things. Why would you ever judge somebody for being tempted in an area you're not when there's only three things that can tempt all of us anyway? You're not really that good. You've only avoided like two other things. You're really not that special. Well, I don't struggle with lust. But you struggle with pride. No, I don't. Yes, you do. <laughs> the moment you say, no, I don't, you do. There's good news. If there's only three points, then there's really only three things that we need to make sure we guard our hearts from. See, most people come to church and get the list, the exhaustive list of the things they don't want you to do. They roll it out like a scroll. It starts from the pulpit and rolls straight out the front door. Here's a list of everything that we don't want you to do. And truthfully, there are only three Why would we make it so complicated for people to strive to live right? By, by convoluting it with a whole bunch of stuff when really there's only three points. Hebrews chapter number four, verse number 15. This is a great verse. I hope that it ministers to you. It's talking about Jesus. This high priest, talking about Jesus, of ours, understands our weaknesses. 
for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I'm going to read that again. The high priest Jesus of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Now, here's how King James and uh, New King James uh, references this one line. Instead of saying he faced all of the same testings we do, it says, but was in all points tempted as we are. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, there are only three points. And our high priest understands our weaknesses. Do you know why? He was tempted in the same three points. Why do you think we have such a great mediator that can go up to God on our behalf? Because he was tempted in the same ways we are. Nobody handed Jesus no heroin. You're down in the subcategory. Not dealing with the fact that he was tempted in the same point. See, we're judging and splicing hairs over how you lust. we're, we're We're trying to split hairs over where you have pride. It doesn't matter if, if, if you have a, a growing business and, and you take pride in the fact that you grew a business and have 100 employees and you're a multimillionaire. There would be no difference if you allowed your, yourself to have pride in that over your relationship with God than somebody on the football field cheering their eight-year-old son and having more pride in the fact that their son is running down the field and scored eight touchdowns than they have in the fact that they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Pride is pride. This person lusts after cake. And this person lusts after sex. And the person that eats too much cake judges the person that's promiscuous. Y'all both lustful. That cake is giving you diabetes. And that premarital sex is giving you STDs. Y'all both have something because you do not govern your life by the principles of Scripture, but by the physical pleasure that you want to feel. I'm coming after y'all today. I'm coming after y'all today. I'm excited about it. Okay. Well, guess what? Jesus completely understands you. Because he was tempted in the same three points. And I'll prove it. Point number one. A craving for physical pleasure. Matthew chapter number four. This incredible thing happens where Jesus is baptized in John chapter number, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter number three by his cousin John. He goes into the wilderness led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The devil comes to him. Now, please, y'all got to walk with me on this. The devil comes to him. Satan himself. You do know that Satan's not omnipresent. Okay? So, so he, has, he has other demons that work for him. 
And, and, and here's the reason why there's not a lot of demon possession in this country. First of all, there's not many, that many demons to go around. There's 7 billion people on earth. There's not enough demons for every person. So they just set up regions and territories and go, you know what? I can get this whole region with lust of the flesh. I can just put that on autopilot. They, they'll just struggle with that over here. And I can get this whole region in the suburbs with pride of life. Deal with that over there. By zip code, yes, they'll be prideful. Autopilot. <laughs> Sorry. And, 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 I can, and I can get this poverty-stricken area uh, struggling with lust of the eyes, looking at what's going on in the suburbs. So, and great, autopilot, great. Now let's go demon-possess some people that we really are afraid of getting Jesus and really revolutionizing the world. They didn't send, Satan didn't send like one of his buddies. He didn't send Beelzebub. He came himself to Jesus. He was like, I got to get him. This is the second man, Adam? Good. I already know what I did with the first man, Adam. Let me try to get this dude too. Okay. Satan comes himself. Now this is, this is, this is a demonic being. This is a fallen angel that comes to Jesus. He gets to take three shots at Jesus, any shot that he wants. And guess what his three shots are? You should know him by now. Because there are only three points. So point number one, he comes at him with a, a, a craving for physical pleasure. Here's what scripture says. Verse number three. Now when the tempter came, this is Satan, to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. This is lust of the flesh. And it's, it's the most primitive and basic of cravings. Why? He was hungry. Has anybody in here ever been hungry? By a show of hands, have you ever <laughs> been hungry? Okay, good. Okay. Um, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. To make sure, because maybe you just always have, like, snacks on deck. I don't know. I just wanted to check, okay? So if you've ever been hungry, then you know that um, when you get really, really, really hungry, when, when, you, like, when, when you're just a little bit like, oh, it's time to eat, you have a preference. Like, hey, hey you hungry? Yeah, I am hungry. What do you want? That means you still have a preference. You're not starving yet. Whenever you're going, ah. you ever seen somebody go to McDonald's? <laughs> Am I in a nugget mood or Big Mac? Um, do I want two pies for a dollar or right? You still have a preference. When you're really hungry, you start caring less. When you get to the point where you're hangry, it's an amalgamation of hungry and, hang and angry at the same time. Anybody in here ever been hangry? When you get hangry, someone could frisbee a donut at you, and you would literally, I mean, you would, you would turn into Lassie on that joint. And like, you wouldn't even get your hand, you just <laughs> Right? When you get too hungry, you, 
you stop caring. Hear me. When you get too hungry in certain areas of your life, you stop being discerning about what you take in. And if that happens in the natural, it could also happen in the spiritual. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. Not like two. Not like the three-day fast that only lasts 12 hours and at 6 p.m. he went in. I remember fasting all day. Give me all the bacon, okay, with a side of burgers. No. For 40 days, he fasted, and Scripture said he was very, very hungry, and the tempter goes, got him. I'm coming with the first point. Hey, man, see that stone? Why don't you turn it into bread? You're the son of God. So turn the stone into bread and eat it. What was Satan really after? What are all the temptations after? They're after your identity. Jesus had the power to turn that stone into bread. But it would have been an abuse, an abnormal use of his power to turn the stone into bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He quotes Deuteronomy 8 and 3. Now, I want you to get this. He's tempted in his flesh. He responds with Scripture. A physical need that needs to be addressed is not met by another physical need. It's actually met by Scripture. He applies Scripture to what this physical need is and goes, hey, I'd rather not eat and read this word than to turn this stone into bread to satisfy my flesh. Because it would be an abnormal use of my power. And from now on, if I ever did another miracle, I would be doing it to get God's attention instead of doing miracles because I already have God's attention. He already told me in Matthew chapter number three that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So I know I'm loved. I know I'm accepted. I know I'm affirmed. And I know I'm validated. And I don't need to turn a stone into a, into a piece of bread to do that. Think about how many people uh, are in the subcategories of lust of the flesh, and they do it to try to feel wanted, needed, accepted, and validated. Satan goes, oh, man, he knows the Bible, which is a gross understatement of who Jesus is because he's actually the whole Bible. He didn't quote a word to Satan. He is the word that he quoted. He's like, let me tell you what I told Israel when they were still in the wilderness. It's in Deuteronomy 8.3, just in case you don't know. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, you were talking to Israel. You weren't talking to me. Satan, anything I say applies to you. That's the first point. Second point is about everything that he possesses and achieves. Pride in our achievements and possessions. It's Matthew 4, 
5 and 6. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, this is Satan quoting scripture. Just want you to know, the devil knows the Bible. Okay? This is Psalms 91 that he quotes. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. I love Jesus' response. He was like, Satan, you can't test me. (laughs) You you can't test me. I'm God. You, You can't test me. But here's the thing. Satan comes with him as scripture because once he knows that you know the Bible, then he tries to give you the Bible, but he twists it. That's how so many people get into what uh, Paul says in the book of Timothy, doctrines of devils or doctrines of demons. It's when Satan knows that you know the word, so he tries to give you just enough of the word to trip you up and keep you bound so you don't experience freedom on the other side. I know people that are in perpetual bondage because they're stuck in Romans chapter number seven. For the good that I would do, that I don't do, oh, wretched man that I am. See, Paul says it right here. And they have it on repeat. Nobody ever goes to Romans 8.1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Going on to say that, that uh, uh, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, verse 11, uh, uh, lives in you. Therefore, you are no longer obligated to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. No, no, no. no he wants to give you just enough scripture to keep you racist, to keep you in poverty, to keep you uh, uh, tied to a denomination, to keep you tied to a theological perspective to the point that you judge everyone else that doesn't share the same exact theological perspective that you do. So there's now there's more segregation between the church than there are blood scripts and essays. I am in it to win it this morning. I'm telling you, these three points are jacking up the entire world. And if it was just the world, I could preach something else. But it's infecting the church. So now you want to know where we line up politically before you check off the box to say that you would like to join the church. As if who I care about politically has anything to do with my identity in Jesus Christ. I care more about the kingdom of heaven than I ever will, but about the United States of America. I'm just going to say that now, and in that way y'all can figure out where you want to go. I am not about to be bothered by anybody in this country more than I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. If there's anybody that believes it, make some noise for Jesus right now. There's too much division. There's too much division. And there's only three points that's causing it. Why? Why? And then people show up every weekend. Let's see if he's going to say something about what happened this week. Hope he says something about because, you know, that happened. And then this, so I want to, is he going to? This is an embassy. Do you know what an embassy is? It's a sovereign representation 
of another country on foreign soil. That's all any church is. It's God's kingdom on foreign soil. So when we come in here, we have to talk about what goes on in heaven. Not to remind you of what you heard all week about what goes on earth. I am not an extension of Fox, MSNBC, CNN. I am an extension of heaven, and I will only proclaim that which my king talks about, cares about, and wants to declare. All right. He says, hey, hey, let me, let me, let, let me bring you to this high peak and throw yourself down. Throw yourself down, because you know what? If you throw yourself down, Scripture says, angels will come, and before you even splat on the ground, they will scoop you up, yes. lest you even dash your foot against the stone. It's pride of life. He tried to tempt Jesus to have pride in an achievement. Can you imagine if he did it? Goes up to the top of a pinnacle, big crowd, no, oh, don't jump. Oh, it's going to be a mess. We don't want to see that. He jumps, angels scoop him up, he'll be like, yeah. You know me, Jesus. Jesus that jumped off and didn't die, that dude. Follow me. <laughs> It'd be prideful and be arrogant. Why would he ever do that? That's it. Think about it. Satan had three chances to get at Jesus. This is the best he has. Go up really high. And just jump and see if scripture will work. That's why he responds by saying, you can't test me. Don't try to test me. Right? I, I, I'm not going to be uh, bringing rattlesnakes into the sanctuary to prove God's word that we can tread on serpents. Don't test the Lord like that. Okay? I've seen too many people. Rattlesnake handler. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ouch. Oh, <laughs> No. I've actually read about it. They straight up die. They just, they, they die. Okay? Don't test the Lord. Okay? He says that you can tread upon serpents. But he's talking about a lot of the spiritual things that go on. Well, Paul got bit by a deadly serpent, and he just shook it off. Amen, Paul. <laughs> what do you think? I'm going to just go try that out just to see. I want to feel what Paul felt. Well, take, take, you know, five beatings. Take 195 lashes while you're at it. I'm going to skip that one, too. Thanks, Paul, for taking one for the team. Appreciate you. So a... A pride in a possession or an achievement. Listen, this is a dangerous place for all of us. This is a dangerous place for leaders. There's a reason why I find myself on my knees most every Sunday. Because there's nothing about what has happened at this church that I could ever take credit for. And the enemy's always trying. You're doing a great job. Man, you, you are. You are awesome, Tim. Man, look, look at what's going on. You should take some pride in that. You're achieving some stuff. 
Look, look at the possessions that you're coming into. And I have to remind myself. That's why scripture says, humble yourself. Shouldn't take God to humble you. My mother gave me some advice, godly advice, when I first got saved. She said, baby, no matter how high God takes you, you'll still be at Jesus' feet. That's why she has permission to hit me with a hanky. <laughs> when you give out wisdom that good, you deserve to swat the boy that you put all that word into. Don't let pride in your possessions or your achievements cause you to lift yourself up in your heart to the point that you think you're better than anybody else. Jesus said, you can't test me like that. You can't test God. That brings us to point number three, his last ditch effort. And point number three is a craving for everything we see. This one is the worst one. Matthew 4, 8 and 9. Next, the devil took him out to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. A craving for everything that we see. Here's what he says. Um, I have some dominion and authority here because with the first man, Adam, actually tricked him out of his authority on earth. And I did it with this point. That's why I saved it for last. I tempted him with everything that he saw. Now, you remember what his dad told him? Uh, you can eat of every tree in the garden except for this one tree. So I tempted him with that one thing. I let them look at it, gaze on it to the point that they desired it, and I got them. So here's what I want to give you because, you know, you're Jesus. You're a little bit better than the first guy. Um, so here's the thing. I'll give you all of this. Let, let me lift you all the way up. Let, let me let you, See all these kingdoms? See all these worlds? See, see, see all of this stuff that I have influence over? I'll give it all to you. Here's the only thing you got to do. Kneel down and worship me. Now, theologically, a lot of people don't, uh, uh, are uncomfortable with this thought, but, but here's the thing. If Jesus would have done that, Satan would have had access back into heaven. Got to remember, when he comes down to earth, who has dominion on earth? Adam. When he tricks Adam, who now has some dominion? Who's a prince of the power of the air? Satan. So if God is here and he'll kneel down to Satan, guess what? He winds up back in heaven going, I can run this now because I have legal right. He handed it over. I didn't make him do it. He knelt down. Here's what Jesus says. Um, <laughs> that was funny. Worship you. That's hilarious. Um, uh, 
the only person you'll worship is me. You have to reverentially respect me. And there's no way that you're going to be able to make me do this. He, he sets it up. He takes the three best shots that the enemy could hit humanity with right in the heart and does not go down. Satan himself comes straight to Jesus with lust of the eyes, pride of life, lust of the flesh, and he goes, I'm not going to bow to it, but I really appreciate this experience, Satan. It's been great. Thanks for coming at the end of an arduous and long 40 days. I got to go eat now. Go back into the city, find some randomized fishermen, and I'm gonna start teaching them how to come against you. And when you hit Peter with a temptation that makes him deny me, I'm not gonna get mad at Peter. Because I understand. Because I got tempted there too. When somebody's tempted to lust, I'm not going to be mad at them because I understand because I've been tempted with that too. When somebody gets tempted uh, to be proud and they recognize it and want to repent from it, I'm not going to be mad at them. I'm going to accept them with open arms. You know why? I know what it is to be tempted too. See, Scripture says in the book of Proverbs, with all thy getting, get an understanding. It's hard to be mad at people you understand. Doesn't mean you can't be disappointed. Doesn't mean that you can't be frustrated with them. But when you understand the context of where they're coming from, you're able to deal with them a little bit better. Why? Because you're like, I know exactly, you know what, they didn't have parents growing up and they were raised in the foster system. And so, you know, this is why they act like this from time to time and they have these heart issues going on. And listen, I, I, it frustrates me too. And, and, and they cause a lot of disruptions, but I completely understand it because look, look, look where they were raised, right? You have a context to it. There's a reason why he had to come in flesh. There's a reason why he chose to be Emmanuel, God with us, right? Bearing all of the feelings of our infirmities, tempted in all points, yet without sin. Why? So that when he gets on the cross, he's not bitter with us. That when he gets on the cross and decides to shed his blood for us, he's not doing it out of anger. He's doing it out of love because he's like, I know exactly what it is to go through what you're going through. To the point that when the people are deriding him and chiding him and saying, why don't you bring yourself down from that cross if you're really the son of God? His response is, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. How can anyone act like that? Only someone that understands you who's been tempted like you. So here's a scripture that I want to end with because it makes me happy. Now, remember in uh, Hebrews uh, uh, 4, 15, it says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet without sin, right? He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. So look at this. This is, this is how we are going to have victory like Jesus had victory. Hebrews 4, 16. So let us, because of the fact of what we know about Jesus, 
Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Do you know you can come boldly to the throne of grace? Why? Because you have a high priest that knows exactly what it feels like to be tempted in the points that you're tempted in. Don't get transfixed on the category. There are only three points. So when we do altar ministry at the end of a service, here's the reason why that we compel people and encourage people, come up to the altar, get prayer. Why? Because when you come to the altar, you're not dealing with any of our friends down there to pray for you to a God up there that doesn't know what you're going through. Scripture says that Jesus on the right hand of the Father daily making intercession for us. And I want to tell you how a father and son would, would talk about this because it wouldn't be deep and spiritual and theological like we would think. It would be kind of like, hey, Dad, show Tim mercy. Look, I didn't eat for 40 days. First of all, that flesh was crazy. The fact that you even wrapped me up in it and have to take off my glory, that, man. Then you turn your back on me on the cross. That was, I, can, I understand rejection. I get it. But I understand Tim, too. So I, I know right now he's struggling uh, in that one point. But, but, but have some mercy on him because I know exactly what that feels like. There's an intercession. There's a conversation going on between father and son because here's what he's saying. I know that you're a righteous judge. But, but, but you also know that I took all of that so that Tim could be looked at like you look at me. And, he, and here's why I want you to go easy on him. I know what that feels like. It'll change the way you minister to people. It'll change the way you counsel people. It'll change the way you pray for people. Lord, I'm not struggling with that point, but I got this point over here. I'm not on point number one, but point number three is on me. So would you please just bless them and keep them? Would you allow them to have a breakthrough in their, in their point of temptation, like you've given me a breakthrough in my point of temptation? It makes you change the way you respond because there are only three points. So then what's the point? I'm glad you asked. The point is you can go boldly through to the throne. And there's not one point that you're struggling with that would make Jesus look at you and be repulsed. Because he's already experienced it. So come to the throne today. Come into this, this relationship with Jesus today. Come into his presence today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Don't, don't run from it. I've been bad, so I'm going, I, don't, I can't go to church, and I got to sit in the back, and I, 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 got, I don't, uh, only when I feel good do I do good. I'm sure Jesus didn't feel good in the Garden of Gethsemane. He still did good. On your best day and on your worst day, you can come to the throne. On your best day and your worst day, you can come into God's presence. Why? Because he was tempted in all points, just like us.
So whatever point it is today, be open enough to get it resolved. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving. 